If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Galatians. We'll be on page 973. If you don't have one, want to grab one of those black Bibles under the chairs, 973 there. It's Galatians chapter 3 this week. We're going on with the series Centered, where we're asking the question, uh, what is our compass? Uh, what is our foundation in life? What directs us? And, and the challenge from the Apostle Paul is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, should be our center. That should be our, our guiding principle. And so this week we're calling it Spirit-Centered Faith. What we're going to see Paul transition into now is this parallel between the life of the Spirit and the life of faith. So this helps us to understand what faith means. There's this parallel he starts setting up, and you see the same thing in his other letters as well, but it's really strong here in Galatians. Last week we were focusing on faith in Christ, not works of the law, right? We can't save ourselves by works of the law. The law just shows us our sin. We need faith in Christ to fulfill the law for us. And so there was the contrast. This week he's going to move into saying that life of faith is a life of depending on the Spirit, not our flesh. So it's another parallel with works of the law and depending on the flesh. And over here we've got faith and depending on the Spirit. So we're going to read Galatians 3 verses 1 through 5. And Paul again is, is using harsh language as a, as a father correcting his children. Uh, we talked a few weeks ago about this tone that you would take if your child is running into the street. It would be a loud, angry, desperate, panicky sort of tone. Right? And that's the kind of tone that, that Paul is taking here, a strong tone saying, don't go back to this thing that's not going to give you life. You're hurting yourself. He's, he's upset. So he starts off in verse 1, Galatians 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Let me pray for us. God, we uh, pray that you would teach us this morning. God, some of us are here uh, pretty proud of our own self-discipline, our our religious conviction, and I pray that you would break us so that we would see our need to depend on you uh, and not ourselves. And God, some of us here um, aren't so sure about this religion stuff at all and uh, are more convinced that we should just follow our own impulses and follow our own heart. I pray again that you would break us, that you would help us to hear uh, that true pleasure is found in you and in you alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, a friend of ours, uh, when we first started the church here in Colleen, was uh, with her kids at one of the pools on post at Fort Hood. Uh, they were just having a good time, playing around. She was sitting by the pool, watching her kids play. And I don't really know where the lifeguard was at this point, but she noticed a kid on the bottom of the pool. And you know, sometimes kids are just down there diving for something. They're playing, they're, you know, being still. But that, the child was there just a moment too long. You know, she knew something was, was wrong, and she dove into the water and, and grabs this kid, pulls him out, and throws him on uh, the side of the pool and resuscitates him. Thank goodness she, she knew CPR. She's able to get him breathing again and, and rescue him from drowning. Uh, and that, that story is an illustration that we can't breathe water, right? It's kind of a basic human fact. 
Humans cannot breathe water. We must breathe air. The, the word in Hebrew and the word in Greek for spirit is the same word for air. It's the same word for air. So that when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he's kind of engaging in a play on words, saying the wind blows where it will in the same way the spirit blows where it will. And the spirit is what gives us life. The spirit is what allows us to, to breathe, to have life. I don't know if you've ever done this like I did when I was a kid. You know, you go swimming uh, and you're out at the pool all day long getting fried and, you know, and your eyes are all red and bloodshot from opening your eyes underwater. Uh, my diaphragm would just be like throbbing and aching at the end of the day from <gasps> gasping for air because we can't breathe water. We've got to breathe air. And, and Paul is upset with the Galatians because it's like he just pulled these kids out of the water like my friend did. He resuscitates them. They're walking around, they're breathing, and then they dive back in and try to, try to breathe water all over again. And he's saying, that's foolish. You're, you're killing yourself. That's not where you're going to find life. And so Paul is upset and he's agitated because he loves the Galatians. He's saying, you foolish Galatians, because he wants them to live. He wants them to have life by faith, by depending on the Spirit, the only one that can truly give life. And so... As he works through this in the text, as I, I said before, there's a parallel here that he's creating between faith and spirit. To live a life of faith is to depend on the spirit. So last week he said it's faith in Christ, not faith in fulfilling the law. The law shows us the standards of God and that we can't fulfill them. But Christ fulfilled them for us. We must live by faith in Christ. And this week he's helping illustrate that by saying, you can't make it with your flesh. You've got to depend on the Holy Spirit. So, so it's a similar parallel to what we saw last week, and he's going to uh, just kind of hang together spirit and faith, spirit and faith. The first thing that he's going to show us is that this whole relationship begins, spiritual birth, it, it starts, we receive the Spirit by faith. So the doorway into the Christian life is, is through the Holy Spirit by receiving, hearing, listening to the truth of the gospel. And that's when the Spirit comes into our life. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's interesting. Uh, the word bewitched is this word that can mean like um, casting a spell by giving you the evil eye. Have you ever heard that term, the evil eye? Um, we're not really like a witchcraft culture, so we're not as familiar with this terminology, but that was their understanding of how it would work, right? Was you would curse someone with, the, with an evil eye. And so he's kind of doing this play on words here of the evil eye versus um, a righteous eye that by faith has seen the cross. That's what, that's what he's going to say next. He's saying, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. It's interesting. It's kind of a motif that, that plays out. You can follow um, when you see uh, Paul meeting Christ. He's struck blind by Christ and then has to have a Christian restore his eyesight. And we, we think that Paul continued to have eye problems throughout his life because in his other letters he says, uh, see the, the large letters with which I sign my own name at the end of a letter, right? He would have a secretary write the letter, and at the end he'd sign his own name in big letters, probably because he had an eye problem. And here in Galatians later on in the book, he'll say, you loved me so much, you, you would have torn your eyes out and given them to me. So, so all this tells us there, there was probably some kind of ongoing eye issue that Paul had. And so I love how Paul just takes whatever he can to illustrate the point, right? He's saying, don't let these people bewitch you with an evil eye to make you see things as if you could save yourself 
but have the eyes to see by faith Christ crucified for you. And what's really interesting here is he says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So, so he's saying you receive the Spirit by hearing with faith, by seeing Christ crucified. So he's seeing here, uh, saying here literally he was graphically or publicly or vividly portrayed as crucified. But, but the Galatians weren't in Jerusalem when Christ was crucified, right? And Paul didn't roll into town with like a Jesus movie and show them the Jesus movie. I don't think Paul did skits either. We have a lot of uh, records of how he preached, and it was verbal, right? He was proclaiming the story of Jesus. Um, not, not to, you know, I don't, I don't want to badmouth skits or anything, but, but I don't think that's how he did ministry. He, he didn't even do what we like to do in children's ministry, and that's a felt board here. Here's a felt board picture. So here's a felt crucifixion scene. So you might be able to show the kids a felt board of the crucifixion, say, Okay, it's been graphically portrayed or publicly portrayed or vividly portrayed to them, Christ crucified. But none of that is really what he means here, right? Again, not that those things are necessarily evil in themselves, but Paul is saying you receive the the Spirit through hearing, faith. You, You heard the message, and that's how you saw Jesus. We see Jesus by hearing and trusting the gospel. The phrase is, again, uh, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So he's saying the, the spiritual life begins, new birth comes by hearing with faith. You hear the message of Jesus. This message is Christ lived the life we couldn't live, that Christ died on the cross to take our sins, to take our place, to, to absorb the wrath of God himself. Christ didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead. He conquered death, proving, vindicating that he really is the Son of God, that he has conquered sin and death once and for all for us. This message is Christ for us. And Paul's saying, when you've heard that, and that hearing is combined with faith, the Spirit enters into your life. That's the beginning. That's the new birth. That's the being drug out of the water and being resuscitated and (gasps) taking in a breath of the Spirit for the first time. That's what it looks like. And so we need to remember the importance then of uh, communicating this simple message, right? If that's how it works, if, if that's how Jesus is publicly portrayed, clearly portrayed, vividly portrayed is through proclaiming, we need to continue to be about that. Um, it's really interesting to me also that we clearly see the, the beginning of the Christian life um, starting when we first trust in Jesus. And that can be confusing for us if Uh, If you looked at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 really highlights what God does for us in eternity past, right? And so there's this mysterious sense that God was at work in our past, loving, choosing, adopting, uh, words like predestining us, right? So God is choosing us and he's doing stuff in our life before we ever met God, right? But then Ephesians says this in Ephesians 1, that same place where it's talking about all the stuff God's doing in our past. And then Paul says it here, but there was a starting point. We talk about, the, we, we use the term conversion. Or, or in John 3, it's being born again. There's a starting point. And that point is when you trust in Jesus, when you trust that he's really given himself for you, that's, that's when it starts. That's when the new birth begins. 
Ephesians 1 says the Spirit uh, came into you at the point of faith. And here he says the same thing, that that's how you began. That's how you were born again, is by trusting in Jesus Christ. Hearing with faith, the Spirit enters into you. That's the doorway into the new life. And so the question we have to ask is then, um, is that what we're about? As God's people, are we about sharing that message? Or are we thinking that something else is going to get people in the doors, right? Are we thinking that something else is going to get people in the doors? And that's, that's something that we really have to ask seriously because we're a, we're a part of uh, this movement over the last 50 years that some would call the, the modern church growth movement. And what that means at, at the broadest level is just pastors and Christians asking themselves, you know, why do we have to do everything the traditional way? Why don't we try to translate things into a, a language that people understand? So that's, that's saying it in a nice way, right? So that's, that's saying positively what we try to do here. We try to remove barriers so that people can hear the message and respond by faith. But there's this slippery slope, and I'm not saying you automatically fall down the slippery slope just by being in that, in that world that we live in, but we need to watch out for this where we can start to think if we play our cards right and, and if we're clear enough or inviting enough or hip enough or comfortable enough, we'll get people in the door of the kingdom. And the Bible says, no, it's the gospel. It's the gospel that gets people in the door. That's what saves people. Um, it's not the awesome pink carpet. As, as great, as, as attractive as it is, that's not what saves people. It's the gospel. It's the message of Jesus. And so we just need to be aware of that because we're a church that, that, that's committed to trying, trying to be contextualized is the way that that's said often, right? We, we want to speak the language of the people. We want to bar, remove barriers. Uh, we don't want to try to tell people that uh, you have to become traditional before you can become a Christian, right? We want to say, no, you can just hear the message, receive Christ. You don't have to join this other tribe first and then come into Christianity. Talked a couple of weeks about diversity. You know, we want people of all shapes and sizes of all backgrounds to recognize that the gospel is for them and they don't have to conform to our culture first and then meet Jesus, but they can just meet Jesus. And then we can have this diverse culture together where we all come from different backgrounds and we all understand things in different ways, but we know that universally we're all sinners that need a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. So we just want to make sure that we don't confuse these, these fruits of the gospel, right? Like trying to be clear, trying to be hospitable, trying to be diverse, trying to be welcoming, Let's not confuse those fruits of the gospel with the gospel itself. The gospel is Christ crucified for us. And the way people enter in to this relationship, the way people receive the Spirit, as he says here in the text, the way the new birth happens is by hearing with faith. Paul says it this way in Romans 10, uh, in Romans 10, 13 through 17. Uh, just last week, Frank Leeson, one of our global outreach partners in Germany, shared this with us. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. That's the bottom line. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we want to continue to proclaim the message. I want to challenge you as, as a part of the team. Do you know the message? Can, can you speak it? Can you articulate it yourself? Because um, a great way for people to hear the message is inviting them to church. We're, we're happy uh, when that happens. But another way that God proclaims the message is, is through you. It's a great quote that I've always loved by St. Francis of Assisi. It says, um, 
Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Have y'all heard that one before? Probably seen it as like a Facebook meme or something, right? It's like, it's this great quote, right? And that quote is good because it emphasizes that like our whole life has to be consistent with the message, and we need to live a certain way for people to hear the message too. But the problem with that quote is he makes it sound like people can hear the message without ever hearing the message, and so we, we just want to, I just want to add a little bit to that, that you got to actually know the message and speak the message too, right? So live your life that's consistent with the message, right? Don't live in such a way that people can't hear the gospel because you're so hateful and you're so fearful and you're so out of control that people have no idea that you have any hope at all, right? You want to live a life consistent with the message, but you also want to be able to speak the message. I, I'd really encourage you, if you feel like, I just can't do that, I don't know it, just there's just two verses. Just memorize Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. Two, two verses. You want to get really extravagant? Add Romans 10.9 to that, right? But just, just a couple of verses that, that just clearly state that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory. None of us can save ourselves. And the wages of that sin is death. But, but the gift that God gives us is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So we can just trust in Him and have eternal life. That's the, that's the simple message. Be able to articulate that for yourself. Be able to speak that. Even if you don't find yourself to be gifted as a speaker, you may not speak it very often, but you want to be able to speak it. Peter says it this way. He says, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Some people may just ask you kindly like, hey, tell me about that hope that's within you, right? Some people may be persecuting you like, you're an idiot. What's up with this hope that you have within you? Either way, be prepared, have an answer, understand the basics. And we as a community want to be committed that it's the gospel that saves. It's not, it's not our ways of delivering the gospel. It's not the things we do to make the place inviting or to be kind or to be approachable. Those are all important. Those are consistent with the gospel, but it's the gospel itself that saves. Spiritual birth comes by faith, hearing with faith. The next thing that we see is really interesting. Spiritual growth comes by faith also. And this is a really important principle. Um, this is where a lot of us fall off the bus. So if you were asleep for the first point, you need to wake up now, okay? Uh, this is where a lot of us was fall off here. Spiritual growth, spiritual progress, the, the term that he uses here in the text is perfected. Other texts uh, would say attaining your goal. Uh, but progressing and growing in the Christian life also comes through faith. Look at verse 3. He repeats again, are you so foolish? And he says, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So here he's not just talking about entering into a relationship with Christ, beginning this life of trusting the Spirit, knowing your sins are forgiven, knowing Christ has taken your sins away, but also growing, maturing, progressing. And the ESV it says perfected. Um, NIV says attaining your goal. This is just this idea. It's the Greek word epitaleo, which uh, teleo, you can kind of hear like telescope. It's this idea of of getting to the end of something, like where it's supposed to be, um, progression, maturity. The question is, if you began with the Spirit, why would you think you're going to grow up by going back to the flesh? Right? Like if, the, if your flesh was killing you, your flesh was killing you and you need Jesus because you can't keep the works of the law. You can't perfect yourself. You need Jesus. You found Jesus. You've trusted in Him by faith. You've received the Spirit. Then why would you try to grow by going back to the flesh? That's his question. Um, one of the analogies for this 
throughout the Bible. That's a, a picture of our PowerPoint guy's bicep there. Um, you can meet Isaac later after the service if you want. Ask him to show it to you. We, we all have different strengths, right? I mean, that's, that's a strong arm. The, the word flesh doesn't, doesn't just mean skin, right? And it also doesn't mean uh, the platonic or kind of Greek philosophy concept of uh, mind, spirit world versus material world. It, it doesn't mean that either. Throughout the Bible, flesh means depending on our own strength. So throughout the Old Testament, flesh is contrasted with God and then the strength of man, right? So there's God, who is really genuinely good and holy, and then there's us. Uh, Another way this is contrasted is like in the Psalms where it says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. There's two ways of trust. Are you going to trust in your own strength, your own arms, your own gifts, your own wisdom, your own intelligence, your own charisma, your own personality, your own chariots, horses. Most of us don't have chariots and horses, right? But machines, strengths, whatever it might be. Are you going to trust in your strength, your flesh, or are you going to trust in the Lord? And what Paul is saying is that we actually grow We actually come to completion in the Christian life by continuing in faith. We don't meet Jesus by faith and and then say, now I've got to switch to this other means. Because you know what? That's that's just changing religions. That's meeting Jesus, coming to know God by faith through the Spirit, and then saying, now I'm going to switch to the way all the other religions do it, and I'm going to perfect myself through the flesh. I'm going to grow myself by my own strength, by my own power. So, So... we need to be really careful because this this flesh-spirit distinction helps us really understand as well that faith is a really important principle in the New Testament and throughout the Bible. Um, if you come from a Catholic or Orthodox uh, kind of perspective, Christian-wise, um, or even there's there's this kind of new movement called the New Perspective on Paul, a, a lot of different varieties of Christianity sometimes argue that the book of Galatians is actually more about technical Old Testament law-keeping. It's not really about faith versus uh, self or faith versus works. It's really about these kind of technical things, you know, circumcision and dietary food laws and stuff like that. The, the problem is that that case can be made a little bit just if you just look at the book of Galatians. But here Paul starts to blow that out of the water by, by appealing to a, a mega theme of the whole Bible by appealing to this mega theme in the whole Bible that it's always a choice between trusting ourself and trusting in God. That's always the issue. The issue is always self-salvation or what God offers. And so whether you're a really religious person or whether you're an anti-religious person, that's the issue for all of us, right? We think we can save ourselves. We think we can do it ourselves. Religious people, we think we can save ourselves by being self-righteous enough by being better than other people and uh, the non-religious people rebellious people think i'll just follow my own heart i'll just follow my own desires and they'll get me there but here paul's appealing to this this concept of it's it's not just about um greek traditions versus jewish traditions it's about self-salvation or god's salvation offered through jesus christ and that's how you're going to grow is understanding that at a deeper level so just whatever you might struggle with, whatever area of growth you need to grow in, 
it's an issue of taking your faith out of the false gods of this world, taking your faith out of yourself and your flesh, and putting your faith in God, trusting in Jesus. Martin Luther said it this way, that all of life is a life of repentance. So every day as I'm, I'm turning again from those gods, I'm saying I can't trust myself, right? So like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, right? I'm a pretty religious guy. And so what can happen to me is I might begin to trust in my, my flesh, my self-control, being religious and being better than other people. But I have to get up every day and repent from that and put my trust back in Jesus. It's not about how good I am. I can't compare myself to other people. It's what Jesus has done. Sometimes I struggle with depression, just with despair. Um, and in those moments, I have to recognize, you know what, there's, there's some false God that is failing me, right? And this is an opportunity not to just despair, but to wake up again and to take my trust out of myself or out of whatever that false God was, pleasing people, accomplishing my goals, whatever it was, and put, put my trust back in Jesus. You might struggle with, with anger, right? If you struggle with anger, the, the issue is not just gutting it out and just don't be angry anymore. The, the issue is recognizing what's the false God I was trusting in? What's, what's the area of my flesh where I thought if I, if I just work harder, then I can achieve salvation. I can achieve my will and then I can get there and then I can complete myself, perfect myself, to use the terms of the text here. Or can you stop and say, God, your will be done. I'll trust in you. I repent from trying to accomplish it on my own. Maybe you're addicted to pleasure. You need to take your faith out of that pleasure. And again, it's a process of repenting and and placing your faith again back in Jesus. No, no, No matter what it is we struggle with, the issue is always an issue of repentance. It's always an issue of faith. It's always an issue of taking our faith out of that thing that we thought was going to save us and putting our faith back into Jesus, the only one that really can save us. The next thing that we see is spiritual power comes by faith. So he's kind of been marching us through this chronological you know, life of the, of the Christian, life of faith, life of depending on the Spirit. He said we enter, we're, we're born by faith through the Spirit. And then he says we grow, we progress by faith through the Spirit. And now he says there's real power that comes into our life by faith through the Spirit. Look at verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So again, he just keeps hammering this. Spirit is about hearing with faith. And the works of the law, that's, that's about your flesh. That's about yourself. First of all, what does he mean by miracles? Uh, miracles, I think by definition, are something unusual. So a lot of Christians would teach if, if you're the right kind of Christian, right, or if you give enough money or go to church enough or whatever it might be, then miracles will happen all the time in your life. And I would argue that's, I, I don't think that really fits because by definition, a miracle is something unusual. It's also helpful to just look at the history of the Bible. And when you read all of Scripture, kind of just jump back and look at the whole, the whole history of the Bible, there are really only three periods where a lot of miracles took place. Um, there was the period of Moses and Joshua, and that seemed to be certifying that God was saving his people, that he could be trusted, and certifying Moses and Joshua as leaders that could be trusted to speak for the Lord. And then Moses wrote most of, uh, well, wrote all the first five books of the Bible as he led God's people. And then there's also this period with Elijah and Elisha, 
when everything was going wrong in Israel, the kings were just pure evil. And so God was certifying that they could hear his word through these guys again, that God hadn't abandoned them, but he was still speaking into their lives, that the king was still there, even though the earthly king was evil. And so there were a lot of miracles that took place through the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. And then later on, uh, we've got Jesus and the apostles. And we see a lot of miracles happening at that time as well. Now, there were other miracles that happened in the Bible, but, but generally... The only time that there was a lot of miracles were those little time periods. Over thousands and thousands of years, just those three time periods, there were a lot of miracles. So, so I would say we shouldn't expect miracles to happen every day. God can do whatever he wants, and God continues to do miracles. But, but miracles in general are, are unusual things. The other thing that I think is important for us to understand is the word miracle literally means power. So we tend to think of the word miracle uh, just in terms of God breaking the rules of science, right? That's how we think of it a lot of times. Um, but the word literally is power. The Greek word is dunamis. Um, the guy that invited, uh, invented dynamite used that word you know, for dynamite. It just means power. Sometimes it has the context of authority or an authority ruling with power, an authority showing his power to us. Uh, so sometimes that involves what we would in translate in English as a miracle. Sometimes it's just authority and power in general. And power is always given to us to, to serve others for God's glory. I think we need to understand that. It's not just to fatten and enrich us, right? That's, what not, that's not what miracles are for. That's not what God's power is displayed for. God's power is displayed in our lives to serve others and glorify him. So that, uh, hopefully that will give us some context. So now we can go back and read verse 4. Let's read verse 4 again. And he says, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So I believe he's purposefully tying these things together. We know that suffering and persecution was a real part of them receiving the gospel as Paul uh, blew through uh, what is modern-day Turkey, Galatia, these areas in the book of Acts. We see him preaching the gospel and we see people suffering. We see people suffering. And Paul's connecting here spiritual power with this ability, this ability to endure suffering so that it's not in vain. God's power is given to us to endure suffering in a way that it's not in vain. We're all going to endure suffering. The question is, are you going to endure suffering in a way that mimics Christ so that it's for others and for God's glory? Or are you going to just endure suffering in a way that's in vain, that's a waste? We're all going to suffer. A great verse that ties these ideas together is Philippians 3.10. Paul's talking about this desire he has. He says that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now I have to confess to you guys, I don't often pray that way. Um, I often pray, God, take my suffering away as soon as possible. Amen. Right? Um, so I'm challenged by this. And so I'm challenging myself as I'm challenging you here. Uh, I, I want to pray like Paul's praying and Paul's saying that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. In 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul says, God gave us a spirit, not of fear or timidity, but of power and love and self-control. So God gives us the power of his holy spirit again not by works of the law not by us gutting it out and being stronger than other people it's received as a gift by faith so that our suffering can be a means to display 
his truth to the world. God gives us uh, power to, to speak the gospel. The Spirit empowers us to communicate it like we were just talking about a minute ago. God gives us power to endure suffering and be like Christ in his suffering in this world. I think for most of us, we get the idea of suffering and being like Christ when we choose it, right? At least that, that's me. When I choose a hard road, I can have a very spiritual mind about it, right? Like, Jesus, I'm going to be like you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suffer. I'm going to struggle for the sake of others. But a lot of suffering in life is chosen for us, right? And that's when it's really hard. That's when it's really hard to have the eyes of faith is, is when the suffering is just given to us. It comes from the outside. We didn't choose it. We feel out of control and we start to think, man, God, God's not in charge anymore. Something's gone wrong. The ship is going down. I don't, you know, I don't know what's happening here. And what I want to encourage you is that we're all going to suffer. And by faith, you can depend on the Spirit to empower you to be like Christ and know the power of his resurrection. And so share in his sufferings. You can receive that power by the Spirit so that your sufferings are not in vain. So they're not purposeless. Sometimes when the suffering is just chosen for us, we feel like something's gone wrong. And I would say in the broader picture, the sin has broken the world. It is, it is wrong. It is broken. But God is, God is beating the system. And he's bringing us into, into that process. We know we're, we're, we're moving towards a future where he's making all things right. And in the process, he sent his son to reverse suffering. And he says we get to follow him and be a part of that reversing of suffering so that he can use our sufferings for his good. So we can be like Joseph in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 50 who said to his brothers, you intended it for evil, but God intends it for good. God can do that. That's the kind of power that God has. And we receive that power by faith. We receive the power to be used by him to endure suffering, to join in Christ's suffering, to be like him. One of the big ways that this is kind of being thrust upon us in our culture right now, something a lot of people are panicking about is the Ebola virus. Have you all ever heard of this Ebola virus? Anyone? Um, Something like everything on the news, everything on social media is all about Ebola. I don't know if you're like me. If you've ever watched any zombie movies or read any zombie books, you're like, hey, this is just how the story starts in the zombie movies. Um, Out of control virus kills the entire world, you know? Um, I just want to remind you that no matter what the virus, no matter what the, what the evil, painful thing is out there, um, we're all dying. That's, that's where we're headed. And we can, we can be like Christ, or it can be all about us. Right? The Holy Spirit can supernaturally give us faith to trust that God's going to use us to serve others and to glorify Him in the suffering of this world. But, but none of us are going get, to get to escape suffering. We, we all wish we could choose our type of suffering, right? But we don't even get to choose our variety of suffering. And, and so I want to read a, a little bit from a Christian sociologist named Rodney Stark. He wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity, and a friend was just blogging about this the other day. Um, and he talks about all the uh, viruses and bacterial epidemics that, that hit the ancient world in the second century. There were some really terrible epidemics that swept through. And he said the epidemics swamped the explanatory and comforting capacities of paganism and Hellenic philosophies. So 
big words there. He's saying basically the, the Greek philosophy and the pagan religions of the day had no power left to explain or comfort people in the midst of these worldwide epidemics. Thousands and thousands of people dying in the ancient world. And he says Christians had a unique posture during this time. Said so in contrast, Christianity offered a much more satisfactory account of why these terrible times had fallen upon humanity. And it projected a hopeful, even enthusiastic portrait of the future. As God's people, we know that our life is ultimately secure in Jesus' hands. Should we still wash our hands and use basic hygiene? Yes, right? <laughs> We're not going to. I still use a seatbelt, right? But I know I'm going to die when God is ready for me to die. Do I take pr- basic precautions? Yes, but I know my life is not my own. It, it belongs to Jesus. And we should be supernaturally marked by the Spirit. We should be a different sort of people so that we receive power from God to endure suffering for, for the service of others and for the glory of God. It's a, it's a Spirit-centered faith that we have, a supernatural faith. We're not depending on our flesh. If it's just about our flesh, man, we're going to scratch, fight, and claw to survive. But if there's a God out there that loves us and has sent a son Jesus for us, then we're free to live for others. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you do love us and you've proven that through Jesus. I pray that you would empower us supernaturally to live this life of faith because God, you know we can't live it on our own. Our prayer is make the suffering end as soon as possible. But God, we pray that somehow supernaturally you would, you would help us to, to know the power of Jesus' resurrection and to share in his sufferings and to be like him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.